Good morning. You awake? You want me to sing to you? Okay, now you're waking up. You don't, uh, don't threaten it. Don't make me sing. You take your Bibles and or your devices, whatever you're using, and don't be checking out the NFL games coming up today or anything like that. Turn to Psalm 143. Psalm 143. What I want to do today is kind of encourage you in a way that God encourages me uh, in difficult moments. You'll notice the top of your handout. Everybody got one? Wave them, see if you got one. All right, does it say somewhere at the top of that walking through your valley? If you see that, say yes. Okay, if you like me, say yes. Well, the numbers went down considerably. I don't, I don't understand. All right, here's what I want to focus on. Walking through your valley. We could go around the room. Some of you, I, I literally know valleys that you're going through. And I know it's really hard. If you're not in a valley now, guess what? You will be. And the beauty of, of going to Scripture, and I appreciate what Marcus had to say earlier and prayed about as we were thinking about Scripture. The beauty of understanding Scripture is that every time you open God's Word, you have to think about it and understand that it, it is God's Word. That it's your Father talking to you. We have so many, there's so many false prophets and teachers in our country and around the world, and we live in a culture now in the United States of America that is post-Christian, it's anti-Christ, and there's a lot of people that take the word of God, and they're, they're satanically empowered in many cases, and they use that word to manipulate people. What you need to understand as a believer is that when you open the Bible, it's your daddy saying, pay attention, boy. I always think about Foghorn Leghorn when I, uh, oh, those of you old enough to remember Foghorn Leghorn, Mary and I turned on something last night, I don't even remember where it was, and, and there was a Looney Tunes, I love Looney Tunes, and it was one with a little uh, mousy kind of, uh, wasn't a mouse, it was a dog, but he had to read, talk like this real slow, and, and, the, and the animal that was chasing him, a wolf or whatever it was that was trying to kill him, it was kind of like the Roadrunner, but it wasn't the Roadrunner episode. It, it was this dog and whatever animal wolf was chasing him. And the voice was Foghorn Leghorn. Like Mel Blank did all those voices. And most of the time, Mel Blank was on drugs when he was doing them. But Mel Blank did all those voices himself. Incredible talent. And I think about when I open the Bible, knowing me. <clears throat> so many times when I open it, it's like my dad and the voice of Foghorn Leghorn saying, Hey, boy, I'm talking to you. Listen to me. Don't do that. Do this. That's what I want to encourage you with, particularly in like the Psalms. To just go to the Psalms and read them repeatedly. The Psalms were like the hymn book for the children of Israel. They would learn them. They would memorize them. They would chant them. Certain Psalms they would always chant and or sing at certain festivals and celebrations but for us we can go to them and you know in your own life if you really want to know something and remember it and not forget it you put it to music 
I'm driving around somewhere yesterday listening, and Peter Noon, and most of you don't know who Peter Noon is. Again, unless you're old like me, Peter Noon was with a group called Herman's Hermits. And I love, first album I ever bought was The Best of Herman's Hermits. To this day, I love that music. And he was on playing his, his music and some other stuff. And, I mean, there were, there were times, that, and it drives Mary crazy because she hates that music. That's probably why I had it put in her van as well so I could use it against her. <laughs> and as soon as he would start singing a song like whatever it might be, I'm Henry VIII, I am, first 45 I ever bought, Herman's Hermits, I'm Henry VIII, I am. When he would start, the, the moment, sometimes when he just hit the first chord or whatever you call it, note, I would know every word of that song. Why? That's just part of who I am. And there are a lot of verses in the Bible that I have memorized, not by sitting down and saying, darn it, I'm memorizing a verse this week. I'm memorizing seven verses this week. Nothing like that. It just, when you immerse yourself in something, it just becomes part of who you are. Like, think about those of us old enough to have grandchildren. I have a granddaughter that will be one year old next month. And how special that is. They were over at our house last night, and you know, she's crawling like a machine now. You just let her loose, and boom, she's gone. And she always wants to be where Grammy is. It doesn't matter whether I'm playing with her and I'm giving her, I give her money. It doesn't do any good. <laughs> Wherever Grammy is, which is usually in the kitchen where she can get hurt or burnt, boom, she's headed for, like a giant rat. She's just headed for the kitchen. And then I got to go in there and get her, bring her back, and I'll sit down and start watching the Grizzlies again. Look up, boom, she's gone. So last night I decided, all right, I'm going to solve this problem. I get down on the floor to play with her. And she'll crawl over to me and crawl up on me, and she likes to pat me on the face, and I make little noises. And as soon as I make certain noises, her head pops up and she smiles. Because she knows what? That's her granny making that noise. And there are certain noises that only I make. I call her a name nobody else calls her. Because she's... Nora is my little, I call her my little chicky chicky. As soon as she, I open the back door, she'll be in there with Mary, and I'll open the back door, and Mary said her head perks up because she knows Granny's coming in. And then I'll say, I'm chicky chicky, and here she comes. Now, there's nothing more special than realizing that. Things become part of who you are. So what I want to do with Psalm 143 today, I want us to see the, the background, the context of a difficult, difficult moment in David's life. And see how on a day, you don't know when your valley may hit you tomorrow. You don't even know what's coming. Boom, it's there. And you just got to deal with it. I was reading a story this week about a guy that had a really bad day at work. Just a horrific day. And he comes home and he tells his wife, he said, look, I've had a terrible day at work. Just everything went negatively. If you got any bad news, you keep it to yourself. And his wife said, okay, here's the good news. You know, we have four children. Three of them did not break their arm today. <laughs> it's all about perspective, isn't it? And God says, you got to trust me. When you're going through your valley, I knew about it before you got there. I'm in the middle of it with you. And I'll be there when you get out on the other side. I'm going to carry you through that valley. Now, I may carry you through the valley and bring you home to be with me. Sometimes that happens. 
We all struggle with that. We've all been there. If not, you will be. Maybe you're sick. You got a valley you're going through. Your daddy has something he wants to say to you. And today I think it was for me. I love reading these and and I learned a long time ago you can go to Psalms and Proverbs on a daily basis. Just read one to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be motivated. My mother-in-law taught me years ago. Many of you have heard me say my mother-in-law is the most godly person I ever met. Not too many people say that about their mother-in-law. But she was the most godly human being I ever met. She had an eighth grade education. And for, she was 97, 95, something like that when she passed away. And I never met a person with a more gentle spirit, uh, consistently in the word of God, more wisdom. Uh, had, had some difficult times in the way she handled them. Just a, a beautiful woman. And she taught me this. I was watching her one time. On a, we were on a, at a family reunion. There was like 150 of us. Their family was, their marriage family is ridiculously long. It was like 150 of us. We were at a family reunion. I was just watching Memo one morning, and she was in the Bible, and she had this little book. And I said, what's that book? She goes, well, this is everybody in the family, and I pray for each of you every day by name. And I thought, I just learned how to pray. That's what it's all about. It's not about me. How many people tell you prayers about you trying to get God to do it? Again, false teachers, getting God to do what you want him to do. No, it's about me lining myself up with the will of God and being concerned about other people. But she had this, had her Bible there. I said, what are you reading? She said, whatever the day was. It say it was the seventh of the month. I don't know. She said, I'm reading Proverbs 7. I said, why Proverbs 7? Because it's the seventh day of the month. How many Proverbs are there, Randy? There's 31. So every day, what would she read? The proverb for that day. Guess what? You can't go wrong doing that. And what, you know what will happen to you? I challenge you, do it for one month. Whatever the day is, read the proverb for that day. You do that for like two months, you'll have them memorized. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Because it just becomes part of who you are. So you get to Psalm 143. David's the author of this psalm. And it's his prayer to God and kind of his song to God for deliverance from his enemies. So I want, to see, want you to see how it progresses. And depending on which theologian you listen to, nobody knows for sure. But most theologians think this was written while David was being chased by his own son Absalom. His own son was chasing him to kill him, remove him as king. So Absalom could be son could be king or it was during the time David was having to run from King Saul who was trying also to kill him because David was a threat to Saul either way David's in a serious valley it's either his own son or the king that he has served faithfully and been the hero of the nation for that king trying to kill David David was God's man now note this principle before we get into the word. David was a man after God's own heart. Was David perfect? No. Even Absalom himself in that whole situation, what he went through with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah murdered, not being where he needed to be as a leader, David made mistakes. But here's the key. If you don't hear anything else I say today, wake up the person next to you and tell them this. 
what David always ended up doing ultimately was coming back to, I want your will, Father. That is the essence of all prayers. What is your will? Jesus, teach us how to pray. The disciples said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I pray, that's what I'm seeking. Not God, give me this, God, give me that. Yes, you share your needs, your hurts, the pain. We're going to see it in a moment. You're going through in your valley. But then you circle back and say, God, I trust you. What's your will? How can I glorify you <coughs> in the midst of this valley how I want people to see you how can I do that David's in a when you get to Psalm 143 David's in another valley David had been through a lot of valleys in his life Goliath the Philistines the Syrians shadow of, the, uh, of death valleys here he's very depressed he's very down what's going on. So let's start in verse 3. We're going to jump around in Psalm 143. And I encourage you to go back, take your hand out maybe, even go back, knowing me, we're not finishing it, go back during the week and just read through Psalm 143, maybe with your hand out with you and make some notes. My, my study Bible at home, Mary and I were joking about it driving in today, that her Bible is just falling apart. She wants a new one. Well, she's selfish. She wants a certain kind. I said, look, I got a million Bibles. Just take one of them. She goes, I want this one, Randy which you can't find anymore. I bought it years ago. I got a deal on it. Bought me one. I bought her one. And you can't find that Bible anymore. But So I'm going to have to try to figure out how to find that particular Bible for her. I'm glad she wants a Bible. And it's falling apart. My study Bible on my desk at home, you can, if you want to read 1 Corinthians 14, you just open it and hold it like this, and it'll drop out. It just, it's falling. So it never leaves my desk. I just, it just sits there all the time. And I got all kinds of stuff stuffed in it where you know i made a note here or something that's special to me here and i'll stick it in that along with that passage and there'll be a reminder when i read that passage having your own personal bible i guess it's just there's something about it so let's look at the pain in david's valley verse three verse three the enemy has persecuted my soul now whether that's Saul or, or whether it's absalom he has a brutal enemy He's persecuted my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He's made me dwell in darkness like those who have been long dead. Like those long dead. Here's the picture from that verse. Darkness. Pain in his valley is like being in the dark. No light. Everything around me is gloomy. I feel like I'm forgotten. I've been the hero of Israel. Now I'm just sitting in the dark. I don't know if you've ever been in complete darkness, and I mean no darkness, where like you can't see your hand. It terrifies me. And I'm, now that I'm claustrophobic, I can't even think about that. I remember years ago, we were on a youth trip somewhere, I don't remember which, whether at Cumberland Caverns or wherever it was, and I think J.J. was a youth pastor then, and they, wanted, they decided they wanted to go spelunking. I don't know if you know what spelunking is. That means crawling around in small holes inside a cave. So we had a bunch of kids with us, and, and they decided, 
or they had this little box thing like a, your luggage at the airport used to have. You got to crawl through this. If you could fit through here, you can go. And I said, does that mean we're going to be in spots that small? I said, I tell you what, I've just, the Lord has told me I'm going to stay here and pray for anybody that doesn't want to go. And we're going to pray for you, and we're going to play phase 10 here, right here. Randy's going to stay here and hang out with anybody that don't want to go, and we're going to play phase 10. And I, there was a guy here, and I'll mention, I won't mention his name because every one of you knows him. But he was on the trip, and he said, oh, Randy, you're a sissy. I'm going. So he crawls through the hole with everybody else. Five minutes later, he comes crawling out and says, I want to play phase 10 with y'all. <laughs> I said, hey, who's a sissy now, dude? I didn't want anything to do with it. Total darkness. They tell you in a short period of time, if you're in total darkness and you don't get light soon, you'll go, you'll go mad. You'll lose your mind. That's what David is feeling. I'm in total darkness. Doesn't seem to be any way out. Look at verse 4. The pain of this valley. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. And the idea here is because of that enemy that he's totally encased and surrounded with darkness, here's how I feel. I'm overwhelmed. That word in Hebrew means I'm broken. I'm crushed. My heart is distressed. I don't feel any comfort. I don't, this is feelings is what it's focusing on here. I don't have any hope. I'm stunned that God, you've allowed me to get here. Now, this is real. And sometimes we feel this way, like, God, all I've ever tried to do is what you wanted me to do. Why am I here? Why am I going through this? God says, I'm always doing something good, Romans 8, 28. I'm always doing something good. you got to trust me. And David is down. And the reason I love the Bible is that it's real. We think of David, a man after God's own heart. God's chosen man to be king. Jesus will reign from the throne of David. David was, a, if, if, you know, if you're going to have one of those Mount Rushmore of Old Testament people, David's going to be on it with Abraham and Moses. David's going to be up there. And yet there were times when he was down. He was in the dark. Verse 4, he's in distress. Where are you, God? Where are you? He's in despair. Look at verse 7. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. He's saying, hurry up, God. I'm in imminent danger. Don't delay. My spirit fails. I don't think I can hold out any longer. I'm at the end of my rope is literally what it says in Hebrew. Don't hide your face from me. I don't want to feel like those that go down in the pit. And the picture here in, in two of these verses, when it says like going down to the pit and others, he talks about those who've long dead, is that I feel like I'm a corpse. I'm just dead. It's over. I don't want to be like that. I need your face. I need you there. Without you, I'm not going to make it. I need you, Lord. David's valley that he is in is killing him. He doesn't know where to turn. He's in serious pain. Thinking, again, whether it's his son or whether it's King Saul, somebody is about to kill him. And God, I'm not going to make it. 
you don't, if you don't save me out of this, I'm not going to make it. I need you. Now notice number two on your handout. You begin to see there's a purpose in this valley. The pain is incredible. I don't want to go through it. But God has a purpose in this. Look at verse 2. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. First thing is beginning, David's beginning to see is the idea of repentance. That I know I'm not righteous. What's Romans tell us? There are, for all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. I don't have the capacity to make myself righteous. No matter how good I am, no matter how many good deeds I do, I don't have the capacity because I am a sinner by nature. I don't have the capacity to make myself righteous. There are none righteous, no, not one. For all our righteousness is filthy rags. But then the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Christ was righteous. That's why his sacrifice can accomplish that. Randy can be declared righteous because I am in Christ. And only for that reason. David can be declared righteous because he was in the Messiah, the Christ to come. Not perfect. But you're saying in verse 2, please understand, Lord, I know David had failed God and failed Israel miserably. And he knew that he could not be righteous based on what his own merits. I love Psalm 51. First Psalm I ever read, I was in high school, only been saved a couple of years. I was a senior in high school and they asked me to teach a class and I taught it on Psalm 51. And I will never forget studying that first time. So many great phrases in there. It was written by David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, after he'd had Uriah murdered. After that lowest point of his life, the bottom of that worst valley in his life, he writes Psalm 51. And there's a phrase in there that just grabs your heart when you read it. It says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I want it to be like it used to be. See, when God saves you, he gives you this amazing joy, this trust, this peace, who he is and what he's doing. Even though your circumstances may, around you may be a horrific valley, God never changes. He's in the valley with you. David knew, read it again in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, he had sinned against Bathsheba. He would sinned against Uriah. He'd sinned against the nation of Israel. He'd sinned against everybody. But in Psalm 51, he, he got it. My sin is egregious before my dad. I'm hurting my dad. And I don't want that. I want us to be close. I don't want us to be estranged. But I want us to be one. So whatever your valley is, God says, stop and look at yourself. Maybe I want to use this to bring you closer to me. A few moments ago, we shared the Lord's Supper together. You read that passage, that great passage of 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is talking about that. 
Can I give you the same line in which the Lord was betrayed? He took bread. He took the cup. He said, this is for you. This is for you. And at the end of that passage, Paul says this. Remember and then go and proclaim. Remember. Never forget what Jesus Christ did for you. Because without the cross, we have no hope. None. With it, we have all hope. For whatever your valley is, even in the midst of it, God is there. Maybe he's wanting to show you something that maybe you're not trusting him in a particular area. Or maybe you're not trusting him enough. Maybe you're blaming him. I'm not saying he caused your valley. Although there are times, children of Israel, that God caused them to go into the Babylonian captivity, for example. The Assyrian captivity. Because of their rebellion. There are times God has to discipline. But even if it's not that. If it's just something that I've fallen into. He is there. And he knows about it. Look at verse 5. Lead you to repentance and hopefully for remembrance. Verse 5. I remember the days of old, David says. I meditate. One of the key words in understanding, particularly the Psalms and the Proverbs, but all of Scripture is that word meditate. I meditate on all your works. I muse or ponder the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. I pray. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Verses 5 and 6. Incredible metaphors. Remember, meditate, muse. Here's the idea in Hebrew. Focus. David said, I need to stop. I need to focus on all you've done in the past. For Israel, for me, in creation. I need to stop. I need to remember. I need to meditate. I need to ponder. I challenge you and encourage you. Whether you use the little daily bread devotional book that we have, which is great, or some other devotional book that you use, take 10 minutes every day, read some passage in God's Word, and meditate on it for a few minutes. What is God trying to say to you? Because the application for you might be totally different than it is for me. Because we're in different valleys. Or maybe not in a valley. But it's coming. Wherever you are in the moment, God's application for you might be a little different. And it will be than it is for someone else. For example, all my children are grown. They're in their 30s and 40s. But I got grandkids from the age of 1 to 18. You relate to them differently. Last night we're sitting in, Nora was over last night, Annie and his wife went out to eat and they came back. And we're standing, you know, I'm joking with, with playing with her. I said, you're getting ready to be one year old. You're going to have a party in a couple of weeks. My chicky chicky's going to be one. And Andy says, my son, in his wisdom, as a 35-year-old man, says, yeah, I only got 17 years left. And I thought, you're why? And I told him, I said, you better shut that mouth. You're, you're Brittany is getting ready to pop you. I said, son, this ought to be the greatest time in your life, that little one-year-old girl crawling around wanting to be with her daddy. What a great time. 
I told him, I said, I still remember we lived on Peyton Randolph Cove in Bartlett, and we had a room over the garage at a window. When I was back out, and your fat little self standing in the window crying because daddy was leaving. And I'd get to the church and turn around and go straight back because I knew you'd be standing in that window crying till I got back. What a great time in my life to have a little boy, to have two little girls. First picture we ever had was Martha, who's now in her 40s. And I'm out washing my car, and she's out there with me holding the hose. A little two-year-old holding the hose, bringing daddy back. Your father loves you. And he knows you're going to hurt. But he also knows he'll handle your hurt. In the middle of it, he wants you to glorify him. Beyond it, see what he's doing. But never forget. Never forget. David had seen God do incredible things. As a shepherd boy, dealing with wild animals, Goliath, he had seen do some incredible things. You see there in verse 6, his reliance on God. I spread out my hands to you. I pray. My soul, this metaphor is amazing, verse 6. My soul longs for you. Thirsty. Like a dry land. Here's the other principle I want to make sure you take away today. In case I forget to articulate it, I want to say it now. Because it really helps you understand the psalm in your own personal life. What you, know, what you see in David's life over and over again, despite his sin, despite his mistakes, which by the way, I sin and I make mistakes. So do you. But what you always see with David is sooner or later, he circles back around to where he is thirsty for his dad. I desperately need your presence, daddy. I need you. I want to crawl up in your lap. I want to be close. It's my fault. I know. That's where the repentance comes in. I know I was wrong. And I know you love me. And I know that's never going to change. Show me what I need to do. Show me what you want to do in my life. I'm thirsty for you. David always came back to, I need you. That old gray hymn, oh, how I need you. Desperately. Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. Not pleasing men, pleasing you, and being everything you want me to be. So that leads you to number three on your handout, how to pray. You notice how he circles around. I need that refreshing, Father. I trust you. We'll pray without ceasing, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. Now look how he prays here. Starting back in verse 1, focusing on the attributes of who his God is first. Verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications, exclamation point. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness. Focusing on the attributes of your God. We even, Marcus shared with us briefly, or Marcus had no idea what I was preaching on. He, what he shared today fits right into it. We trust God. Why? Because he's faithful. How many times has he ever let anyone down? The answer is zero. Why would he start with me? Am I that special that he's going to let me down? I'm special. Which is another reason why he's not going to let me down. I'm his boy. Sometimes I'm his stupid boy. 
but I'm still his boy. And he's not going to let me down. How many of you have ever had to punish a child? You don't have your hands up, you're lying probably. How many of you have ever had a fight with your spouse about how to punish a child? I know with our girls, I never did really, I think I spanked Martha one time, and Beth, I never spanked her because she was lying all the time, and I couldn't tell the difference. So, <laughs> Andy came along, you know, a boy's a boy, and the only way I could get his attention was to spank him. And we kept a little paddle, we called it the enforcer, we kept it up on top of the cabinet in the wasn't used for anything else. I'd reach up there and get it. And I was spanking him one time, and, and Mary said, stop it, you're hitting him too hard. I said, Mary, he ain't crying yet. <laughs> I, did he, he realize it? If I start crying early, this will stop. <laughs> Your daddy loves you. Sometimes you've got to discipline. He said, but I know you're faithful. You're not going to let me down. Answer me. Notice verse 1 again. It's just very important. In your faithfulness, answer me. You've never broken your promises in the past, whether it was to Moses, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to me, David says. You've never broken your word. You've never broken your promises. Answer me based on your faithfulness. See, as a father, grandfather, pastor, friend, I might promise you I'm going to do something and be 100% committed that I am going to do that, and then I might forget to do it. Or I just don't get around to doing it. Or I tell you something I'm going to do that I can't do, and I don't do it. You ever have to worry about that with God? He will never let you down. Now, despite what some of our friends in the Christian community preach and teach, will he always do what you want him to do? You know, no, no, no. And if I could curse, I would say no. He's not going to do what you want him to do. What's he going to do? What's best, best for you. I love that passage in the New Testament talks about if you as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give? He never gives me what I want unless what I want lines up with his will. That's what Jesus said. You get the desires of your heart if you read the passage, if your heart's centered on him. If you're seeking God's will, you got it. Seek his will. Not yours. You don't tell God what to do. If I tell God what to do and he does it, who's God? I am. I promise me, I know I'm not God. I have to trust him. Answer me in your faithfulness, your righteousness. By nature, that's who you are. I can trust you. Now look down at verse 8. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you I do trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk or live daily, even in my valley. For I lift up my soul to you. I trust you daily. Calls me. However you have to do it, Dad, get my attention. So I'll live my life every day in a way that honors you. I lift up my soul to you. 
Look at, look at verse 9. Deliver me from my enemies. In you I take shelter. The idea here is I go to you for refuge. The picture that I see in this in verse 9 is a little boy or a little girl just running up and jumping in the arms of a parent or a grandparent to be sheltered from whatever it is. That's the picture. They know you're going to take care of them until they get to be about 10 or 12 and then they realize you're dumber and dirty. But when they're little, it's like Nora, she just follows wherever Mary goes, she's going. But she loves being held by Granny. That's special. She knows Grammy would never hurt her. Grandy, she ain't so sure about. She loves her Grammy. The picture here is I can go to my father and know I'm safe. He's got me. He's going to take care of me. He loves me. Then verse 12, all these attributes of God. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. Verse 12, in your mercy, for I am your servant. That's it. Jesus said, I came to serve and to die. We die to self to serve. So, what's the attitude of my heart as I'm praying? Look at verse 6 again. I spread out my hands to you. That means pray. My soul longs to you like a thirsty land. We talked about this earlier. Her number one attitude is I long for my God. I, I want to know you better tomorrow than I do today. Never satisfied. Never think I've arrived. I long for you, God. Secondly, verse 8, calls me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. I long for my God. I trust my God. And verse 12, we just saw, I serve my God. Even in the valley, even when I don't understand it, even when I don't like it, and I promise you, those times are coming. The last two years for Mary and I physically have been really hard. For her, two years. And it'll be ongoing for the rest of her life, but it's getting better, but it's still there. It's never going away. 2022 has been just really hard on me physically. But did God stop being God in 2022? I thought he did when I hit that first CAT scan. I am claustrophobic to the extreme. And they said, we're not putting you inside, but just for a minute. And I'm thinking MRI. And literally, I'm, it gets to the point, I can't breathe. I was with Mary not long ago, had one, and had to have another one. And they said, we're not putting you inside. We're just going to put you close. And it got to like, here's the thing. My face got right here, and immediately I couldn't breathe. I said, Mary, I can't breathe. They came over, I shared the story, we started talking, sweet girl, they gave me a little oxygen, God got me through it. I said, I want to do that, I promise you, with all that is in my being, I did not want to do that test. I didn't have any choice. God got me through it, because he's God. God sometimes challenges us with valleys, so he can bless us. What does that mean? 
the difficulty is an opportunity for me to grow and for me to share. When I was at that test and I didn't want to do it, and a little girl came over and started, they gave me some options. She's standing there, she's just talking to me. And so she says, what do you do for a living? Well, boom, I'm off talking now. She's wanting to know all about the church and how did you get there. And it was Mary's birthday. We were there on Mary's birthday. She said, well, what a great birthday present. You get to sit in this lab. Well, they're doing a test on your husband. Got to share what the Lord's done in our lives of being married almost 50 years. The valley was an opportunity to grow and to witness. You have to look at it. It's an opportunity to grow, to witness, to learn, so that you could glorify God. Am I teachable? The Lord wants us teachable. So finally, last quickly, verse 9. Notice the progression, and we're done. What am I doing? What am I now asking God to do? I'm not asking him to do anything, but notice verse 9. Deliver me from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Deliver me your way, and in your timing, I trust you. Verse 10. Teach me to do what? What's it say? Your will. Teach me. I want to know what your will is. Don't do what I want you to do. Teach me your will for your God. You are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me. Teach me. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Verse 11. Revive me. O Lord, notice for your name's sake. There's glorify. You write in your Bible, there it is, glorify. Let people know who your God is. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. Revive me for your sake, not mine, yours, so that I can point people to you. I run to God, and then I ask him to teach me, lead me, revive me. I'm going to share a true story with you, and then we're going to close out our time together. There's a guy named Arthur, Br- oh, excuse me, Luther Bridges. He began preaching at the age of 17. He was an evangelist and he would be away from home for long periods of time. In 1910, he, while he was gone on one of those evangelistic tours, his wife and his three sons, he took them to visit his parents in a town called Harrodsburg, Kentucky. During the night, a tremendous fire broke out in their house. A neighbor ran over try to wake the family up. His parents, her parents, got out. But Luther's wife and all three of his boys died in that fire. After it was over, he wrote these words. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. How many of us have not sung that song? Man, how could you write those words when your entire family was burned? I don't know that I could, but in his valley, God gave him one of the coolest, sweetest songs. Sweetest name, I'm not going to sing it, but you're going to be eating it shortly. I love that little chorus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
sweetest man I know. I finished on time. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Let's pray, and Marcus, the worship team can lead us final song. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that we have you to come to as our Father. Never makes mistakes. Always has our best interest in heart. at heart. We thank you, Lord, for being our Father. I pray whether we go to Psalm 143 or Psalm 51 or Psalm 73, on and on, we can meditate on those verses and realize who you are and that we would have two things, your will being what we seek and being thirsty to know you better. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You stand while they lead us in this final song and if you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be down front.